This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Amen, amen, amen. Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to go ahead and go to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6. 1 Timothy, chapter 6. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write this title down, Seeking Things. Seeking Things. As I was thinking about this title, as I was thinking about wrapping up this series about being raised to life, I was thinking about how we often seek seek things first, and we often look sometimes at God as the one who we can get in good with Him, and then we can get the things that we want, because the things that we want are the things that we feel like sometimes we need. Well, as I was praying about how to communicate this to our church in a way that would be relevant, in a way that would pierce our souls to the very core, I had to do some great study and some great uh, uh, exegesis, and I had to uh, tear this apart, and I came up with this great thing, and I want you to write it down. It's very deep and spiritual. You guys know me pretty well. God is not Willy Wonka. I want you to meditate on that. And I want you to think on it. God is not Willy Wonka, the Gene Wilder version, nor the Johnny Depp version. Both equally as creepy, never knowing where you're going, creepy. Okay? If you were so fortunate as to have parents who loved you as a child, who did not allow you to watch this movie and forever be scarred by it, then let me catch you up to speed about Willy Wonka. He was a guy that owned a chocolate factory, and he put golden tickets inside of these chocolate bars, and children were looking feverishly to try to find them. And the ones that found the, cho- the, the golden tickets in the bars got to take a tour of the chocolate factory and eat all the candy and all the chocolate and all the sweets and all the things that Willy Wonka would allow them to have. Now, the thing in this movie that stands out to me is that when the children actually go to meet Willy Wonka... They're kind of excited about meeting Willy Wonka, but they're more excited about what Willy Wonka is going to get them than they are meeting Willy Wonka. They're more excited about the fact that he's going to give me all this stuff and he's going to allow me to eat everything I want and everything that I think I need and everything that I desire. He's going to give that to me. And they really kind of just blow past Willy Wonka. Matter of fact, some of the kids are even rude to Willy Wonka because they want what they want. And I think a lot of times that is a picture of how we approach God. We're interested somewhat in worshiping Him and somewhat in knowing Him, but we're more interested in what He can get us than we are knowing Him. Because we think that somehow what He can get us is going to satisfy us instead of us recognizing and realizing that He alone can satisfy We think that what God gets us satisfies us, not necessarily God himself. Because you see, all of us, apart from God, we're void and empty of real life. We don't understand what real life is, so we go from one thing to the next looking for something to fill this void. We look for something to satisfy us, and it never works. Just like when you go to the buffet. You can be the hungriest person in the room. And you're going to go there, and, you, and, and you're looking at all this food, and you are looking at the real estate of your plate, and you're wanting to strategically place things on top of other things, 
and move things around to make sure you can get everything on your plate in the buffet line that you can get. And oh, don't worry, I can go back. Just make sure you get a clean plate. You can get stuffed. You can get completely full. And you can say, ah, I am satisfied. But guess what? You will get hungry again. You will not truly be satisfied. You will be momentarily satisfied. And it's the same thing that we do with stuff. Same thing we do with jobs, with careers, with positions, with relationships. We're interested in getting those things. So if we think that if we somehow get connected with God, that he'll get us the things that will satisfy us. But what we'll find is that until we realize that it's the other way around, God satisfies us and he blesses us. He doesn't bless us with satisfying us with things. He blesses us in the fact that he is enough. And when we rest in that fact and when we find that out and when we understand that, we understand that what he did was so significant for us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us because we were void because of sin. We were empty because of sin. We were dead because of sin. And when we recognize that, and we recognize how much we need Him, because He's the only one who can satisfy, that's when we can truly seek Him. That's when we can truly get to know Him and understand that He's the one that satisfies all of the deepest longings of my heart, and not the stuff that I thought would do it. Amen, somebody? You see, apart from him, we're dead to sin and will always be empty when we set on things to satisfy us. Always, always, always. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul wrote to a young minister by the name of Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and he was trying to instruct him on some things in the church and how to be a, a good leader. And we can glean from this today. 1 Timothy chapter 6, let's look at verse 3. This is what Paul the apostle wrote to young Timothy. He said, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords to godliness, then he's a proud person, knowing nothing. But he's obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy and strife, reveling and evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that Godliness is somehow a means of gain from such withdrawal yourself. He said that there's actually some guys out there that are actually think that godliness is a means to gain. In other words, I'm going to be godly for what I can get out of the deal, for how I can increase myself, how I can get the things that I really want. And he said this, now, here's the thing. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we're going to carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these things we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee from these things, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness." He said, there's actually people out there who think that godliness is a way to gain. But he said, I say this, that godliness with contentment, that's great gain. 
not looking at God as someone who can get me everything I want and using him. Because, you know, there's some people that would want to use the, the, the gospel, some people that would want to use the scripture to try to somehow find for themselves a way to gain, a way to, uh, you know, get ahead in life. I'm going to use God. I'm more interested in what he can get from me here on, uh, here on this life. I mean, what I can get from him here in this earth, here in this time. More interested in that than I am him. So I'm not really pursuing godliness as much as I'm pursuing what God can get for me, what he can do for me. So I'll try to find exactly what I need to do to get what I really feel like I need to be complete and whole from him instead of growing in godliness, growing in knowing him and that being enough. He said, listen, people will use this and they'll... they'll uh, they'll actually pervert the message of the truth to try to heap on themselves things that they want, things that they think that are going to make them happy. And that's when he said the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. There's all kinds of things that we look at that will bring us satisfaction, but what you're seeking will never give you what you really want. What you're seeking is never going to give you what you really want because here's the thing. You're not really looking for a new job you're not really looking for a pay raise. You're not really looking for um, that person in your life that you think is just going to fulfill all of your dreams. You're not really looking for that new house. You're not really looking for a new boat. You don't really care about those things. What you're looking for and what we often will look for is the feeling that we get from having those things. And that's really what we're looking for. We think that having that job title will make us important. And we're not really seeking the job, we're seeking the importance that comes along with it. We're not really seeking the car, we're seeking the status and the good feeling that we get from having the car. That's really what we're after. And we think that the car will give us that. We think that the job will give us that. We're looking for peace, we're looking for joy, we're looking for some sort of rest. And so we think that if I do this, if, if I sacrifice, if I, if I give everything, and if I just kill myself to have this, then I can finally rest. If, if, if I have a good job, then I can finally love my wife and I can treat my kids right because then I'll have enough money to be able to take care of my family. Then I can show them love because now I'm upset because I don't have these things. So therefore, I'm incomplete and I'm empty. And if I have these things, then all of a sudden I can treat people right. And so our behavior, we put a contingency on our behavior based on our incompleteness and our pursuit of things to fulfill us. It's backwards, folks. It's backwards. It's backwards. We should be able to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We should be able to respect and honor our husbands. We should be able to love our children. We should be able to raise them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord and show them what a godly home looks like, whether we are sitting on top of the mountain or whether we're sucking air in the bottom of the valley. Amen, somebody? Now, it's a lot easier to breathe when you don't have those pressures, but, but is Christ enough regardless of what state of life you may be in? Is He enough? Or are we saying, no, He's not enough, I need all of these things and then I'll be enough. Now, does he want to take care of us? Absolutely. Does he want us to not have anything? No, God doesn't mind us having things. He just doesn't want us to look to our source of joy and peace and contentment from those things. He wants us to find that rest and that joy and that peace in him. Amen? Amen. That's what he wants us to find because the things we're looking for aren't really going to give us 
what we're actually searching for. You see, we always develop these cravings for things. It's called the lust of the flesh. Maybe you've heard that term thrown around in church. The lust of the flesh. I'm craving things that I think are going to give me something, that are going to give me satisfaction. But here's the crazy thing about cravings. They never quit, do they? I don't wake up all of a sudden and go, eh, don't have any cravings anymore. Some of you guys are thinking about chicken legs right now. <laughs> I guarantee you there's a pastor somewhere preaching a sermon that is not really focused on his message because he's thinking about how wonderful that chicken's going to taste. He's going, oh, I've got to get through this message today because KFC is calling my name. Here's the thing. Cravings... They never stop. We try to suppress them. We try to suppress cravings. We try to distract ourselves from cravings. Because the reason we're craving these things, the reason we're craving that alcohol, the reason we're craving that food, the reason we're craving whatever it, that it is that we think we have to have is because we think that we're somehow incomplete without it. What do we say? We say things like this, I have to have this. Why do I say that? Why do I say I have to have this? Why have I created a dependency and a craving on this thing? Because I'm looking to that thing to give me something that I should be finding in my relationship with God and not in that thing. But when we put the emphasis on the thing, we think it'll get us what we're really looking for. And it doesn't because it never stops. It, it never says enough. In the book of Proverbs, in the 30th chapter, Proverbs 30, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 15 says this. <clears throat> Excuse me, Proverbs 30 and verse 15 says, The leech has two daughters, give and give. There are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not satisfied with water, and fire that never says enough. Fire never stops. It never says, I'm done. I'll just keep on burning. You don't have to throw anything else on me. No, it's going to consume everything. It never stops. It's never satisfied until it has consumed everything. And that's how our lust of our flesh, our cravings for things that we're looking for satisfaction from, that's how those things are. They will eat at us, and they will always tell us and lie to us that we need them, and we need th them in our lives to be satisfied, to be complete. Because what we're really looking for is significance. We're really looking for love. We're really looking for happiness. We're really looking for satisfaction. And we think we can get these things from relationships, or, or jobs, or titles, or houses, or, or stuff. And we get addicted to it. We get addicted to those cravings. But addiction to temporary satisfaction is really idol worship. That addiction to that temporary satisfaction, it's idol worship. It is worshiping an idol that is lying to you, that is lying to me, that's telling, excuse me, that's telling me, I need, I need this to be happy. I have to have it to be satisfied. And that idol is lying to me. Why? Why do idols lie? So we will worship them. But do they ever deliver on their promise? Do they ever really satisfy? They give you a little taste of a really false definition of true satisfaction and you get this temporary fix. But then even that doesn't become enough and you've got to keep going deeper and deeper and further and further because what gave you that little sense of satisfaction before it, it it's not working anymore. And so you've got to double up or you've got to do more or you've got to do more and, and then that's not enough. And then before you know it, you're completely controlled by this idol that lies to you. So you will worship it 
And then when it doesn't truly satisfy, what does it do? The idol presents itself as the answer, doesn't it? When you're empty, when you're broken, when, you're, when you feel all alone, what does it say? It says, you really need me to be happy. If you have more of me, you'll be happy. And it's trying to lie to you, and it's, it's getting us away from worshiping the one who can truly satisfy and truly give us all these things. Truly give us what we're truly looking for. Not necessarily from the things that we think will give it to us, but the thing that we're looking for from the thing. You with me? Okay. Did you have coffee this morning? <laughs> Not necessarily from the thing you thought, but he'll give you the thing you were looking for from the thing. <laughs> because we're all looking for something from a thing or a person that can never truly give it to us. Only God can give it. Only God can truly give it in a way that will lasting, be a long-lasting satisfaction. Anything else is idol worship. Anything else is it, it's, it's idol worship that would lie. When I was a kid, uh, especially in grade school, I, I didn't have a lot growing up. I didn't, my, my parents were, you know, they, they did what they could, and I'm, I'm thankful for what they did growing up. I mean, we never were starving or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I wasn't the kid that had all the cool stuff. I didn't wear the name brand clothes. Matter of fact, I, I, I never had a, a real popular brand of, of shoes or clothes until I was like 16 and I had my own job and I could buy it myself. And so I was always, you know, the, the, the kid at school that would have to feel like he had to compensate for the things he didn't have. And I fell into this pressure of feeling like I wasn't good enough because I didn't have what the other kids had. And so what would I do? I'd lie. I would lie to my friends, to anyone who would listen, because I thought that if I could convince them that I had something I didn't have, that I was important or that I was cool like they were. So let me tell you guys what I used to have, all right? I used to have a four-wheeler. It wasn't just any four-wheeler. It was the fastest four-wheeler. I think it could fly. I don't remember. But I had this four-wheeler as a kid. And if you came over to my house, it was in the shop. Okay, it was in the shop. It just wasn't there um, because all my friends had four wheelers. I'm from the south. All of my southern buddies, my redneck buddies, all their dads, they were all hunters. My dad wasn't a hunter, and my dad, uh, you know, my dad liked to go fish. So we had an old beat up John boat, but we didn't have a four wheeler. But all my buddies did. Where's your four wheeler? Oh, in the shop. That's why I felt like as a kid, I had to tell everybody, and then. Me and my dad had these giant remote control airplanes that we used to fly. And I used to tell people that because I thought that was cool. Because I saw somebody's dad who had those, and I thought that was cool. And I thought, if that's cool, then I'll be cool if I have that. So I made it up. I used to tell people at school that my mom owned a movie theater. That was one that, as I was thinking back on all these lies that I used to tell kids in grade school, I was like, yeah, I used to tell my, ha I had a, my mom owned a movie theater because I thought owning a movie theater was a big deal. And I thought that was really important. And so my mom owned a movie theater. Oh, yeah, and I've seen all the movies. No. And I was an expert at, as a kid on jumping on someone else's conversation or listening to another kid's conversation who had perhaps seen that movie, and then I could recite that one part of the movie to convince my friends I had saw the movie. Why? Did I want my mom to own a movie theater? No. Did I want a four-wheeler? Maybe. Did I want remote control airplanes? Definitely. If God leads you to buy me one for Christmas, that's cool. 
I wasn't really looking for those things as a kid as much as I was looking for that significance that came from having those things or the feeling that I thought was significant for me. So you know what I had to do as a kid? I had to juggle these different stories with different friends that I had told. I remember I even made up the fact that I had an older sister when I was like 10. <laughs> because my friend that was cool had an older sister and everybody thought he was cool, so I wanted to be cool like him. And there was a girl that would play softball down the field while we were out at recess and she was my sister. Nobody was going to talk to her because we were all like eight-year-old little kids, right? But that was my sister down there. Made up a name, all kinds of backstory with her and stuff. It was great. I don't even know who that girl was. <laughs> she was my sister. Why did I feel pressure to do that? Because I felt like something was missing in me. Felt like I was insignificant because I didn't have what other kids had. And I could see that I didn't have what they had. You know, I could see, man, I must not be important. So I had to fabricate all of these things that I had to juggle around. And let me tell you, when you're juggling lies, you are miserable. You're miserable. Adults do it too, not just little eight-year-old kids. Hello, somebody. Don't even you get quiet on me. <laughs> People do it all the time because they feel like they're insignificant. Like they have to be a part of the crowd that can talk about this or deal with this. Or, you know, let's talk about that. We do that because we're really looking for something, and we're looking for the thing from the wrong place, from the wrong source. Amen, somebody? And it's really this addiction that we get to this idol that says, you'll be important if you're in with this crowd. You'll be important if you can mix and mingle with these people. You'll be important if you can dress this way or drive this or live in this neighborhood. Or you'll be important if you have this in front of your name or behind your name. You'll be important if you have this kind of parking space. You'll matter. You'll be significant. And if you're significant, then you'll really be happy. Will you? Does it really work that way? You may get a little sense of happiness for just a moment, but it doesn't last, does it, church? It doesn't last. It's temporary. Jesus does this. Jesus gives us the things we were searching for, just not from the things we thought would satisfy. He truly gives us that significance and that love that we are searching for. That we were looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love. Right? Or the buckwheat version. Nookin' banub. You remember that? No, you don't. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? That's right. This was real spiritual up in here and Pastor just blew it. Colossians chapter 2 says this. Check this out. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, For in Him, talking about in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So check this out. In Jesus Christ dwelled not a portion of God, but all the fullness of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all of it in fullness bodily. So He was complete in every single way. Amen? Now check this out. And you... And me, we are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. The Bible says now we are complete in Him. He was complete and we have Him. So that means we're complete. That means lacking nothing. The word complete, translated in the Greek dictionary, means complete. 
It means lacking nothing. It means you are complete in him. That means the void, the hole, the gap that you've been looking to plug and fill with all this other stuff won't do it. That you are already complete in him. And if you would just rest and recognize that in him the fullness of the Godhead dwell bodily and he now dwells in you. You are complete in Christ, lacking nothing. You lack nothing. You lack nothing. Well, you don't know. Shut up. You lack nothing (laughs) because of Jesus, because Jesus is enough. The moment he stops becoming enough is the moment we start worshiping idols. When we start worshiping other things that we think will give us what only he can give, and they lie, and they get us caught in a cycle of repetition that is modeled before our children and our grandchildren and our spouses and it is just detrimental to our health. It's detrimental to us mentally and emotionally and financially and we spin in these cycles and we're broken and we end up empty. And then one day, sometimes, sometimes this happens one day that when we finally get to the place where we're broken... And we awaken to our need for Him that we realize we can find fullness in Him like nothing else could give. I'm just trying to give us a heads up right now to know that you can be complete in Him. You can be complete in Him now. Amen? Amen. Not after you've already lived the story of the prodigal son. Now. A lot of people go and run from God Because they really don't think he can give them what he says that he can. They really don't think he satisfies. They really don't trust that word. They really don't trust that message. Because everything is painted and advertised and and, and presented in such a way that it really does look like it's satisfactory. And when we run from him and we come to the end of ourselves, we awaken to the fact that, you know what, really all all I needed was him all along. Amen, somebody? Amen. In Psalm 105, the Bible says this. 105 and verse 4 says, Seek the Lord and His strength and seek His face forevermore. I want you to notice something in that scripture, that the word seek is used twice. And any time in a verse of scripture or in an area of scripture where you see the same word used twice, oftentimes it will have a different meaning. There's a reason that it was written that way. So seek the Lord and his strength, and seek his face forevermore. The first word, seek, is one that means this. It means to ardently search, to carefully inquire. And the second one means to request something that is desired. Oftentimes, don't we go to God and we request something that's desired before we ardently seek him? We we get it backwards. We want to go to him first. Like Willy Wonka, we want to go to him first, see what we can get. And if you get me what I want, then I'll love you. And God says, no, I want you to ardently pursue and seek me first before you request anything of me. Just seek me. God, I just want to know you more. God, I want to, I want to know you more so I can love you more because you have done something in me. You have, you have sent your son that has, that has destroyed sin, that has taken this person who is dead and brought him back to life. This person who was 
empty and incomplete and made me complete in you. And I just want to rest in that fact that I'm complete in you. And I just want to know you more. I want to grow an understanding of who you are. As we approach God, as we ardently seek him, as we, as we carefully seek him to know him more. He wants us to petition him. He wants us to ask him because he wants to bless you. He wants to give you things, but he doesn't want to give you things that you think will give you something that only he can give. Amen, somebody? The Bible says he knows what you have need of. He said he'll supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So God wants us to seek him first and find our satisfaction in him because we were created for him. Amen? He created the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve to enjoy, but he didn't create the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve to worship. He created the Garden of Eden for them to enjoy because he knew he would give them the things that they needed, things that would point to him because that's what the beauty of the garden did. It pointed to worship God, not to worship the garden. Because a lot of us want to worship the things here on earth, but the good things here on earth are meant to point us to him and how awesome he is. Amen, somebody? Amen. Not point us to worship those things. But God, you, you made this. You are amazing. It's, this has, has so touched my heart that it draws me to think how awesome of a God that we serve. So I want to ask you a question, and, and, and I want you to write it down because I want you to take it home and I want you to think about it. Because I don't want you to give Sunday school answers here and just quickly dismiss it. And I don't want to ask it in a way that would be condemning because that's not the intent. I want to ask it in a way that it would challenge us and would awaken us to understand what we've been talking about today and throughout this whole series of being raised to life. Is Jesus enough for me? I want you to write that down and I want you to think about it. Automatically, we'd say, amen, high five, yes. But is he really enough for me? That's a very thought-provoking question. Is he really enough for me? Because we, we, we quickly take things for granted that we didn't have to purchase. Don't we? We quickly take for granted things that were free. <clears throat> things you had to work for. Things you had to earn. You treat those things a little bit differently than something that somebody just gave you. Unless you understand the worth of what was given. How many veterans do you think take Veterans Day weekend lightly that don't forget about it? I would say that most every veteran would remember Veterans Day. Those of us who have never served or have never had family members who have served, we probably would not think about it as much. We're just really honest, right? We're really honest. We don't think about it as much, especially th those, those men and women who served on the ground, maybe in a foreign country or in a time of crisis. They remember Veterans Day. They remember it. <clears throat> we often forget those of us who enjoy the benefits of someone else's sacrifice. But today... I want us to remember how precious of a sacrifice Jesus paid. And this weekend, I want us to remember how precious of a sacrifice has been paid for you and I so we can live in this country and be free men and women. Amen? Amen. You see, here's the thing. When we recognize how great a sacrifice that Jesus paid and how desperately we need him, we will worship him. We will worship him because we understand how great a price was paid. 
we will be grateful to him and want to know him more because we understand how great a price was paid. We'll be grateful for the freedoms that we enjoy in our country when we understand how great a price that was paid. I saw something on the news that really struck me as interesting, and I want to share it with you. Um, you know North Korea, communist country. Um, well, they're in South Korea. There's a lot of Christians in that, in that country, and they've been doing this. They've been putting Bibles into balloons that are radio-controlled, and they've been dropping Bibles in strategic places in North Korea because it's illegal to have a Bible in North Korea. It's so illegal to have a Bible in North Korea that if you're caught with one, that you and three generations after you are going to be in prison. So when you do this right here, when you do that right there, and you look at these words in this book, you don't have to worry about anybody putting you or your great-grandbabies in prison, do you? Amen. You don't. Why? Because somebody else paid the price for that. There's a lot of North Korean Christians that are meeting underground, meeting in secret locations, that are risking their very lives to do this. How quickly we forget. How quickly we take for granted things like that. Christ is enough. He can satisfy. He's, he's the only one that can satisfy to the point that a North Korean man would be willing to risk not only his life, but the lives of his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren just to be able to read the Scripture. That's how satisfactory Christ is to him. Because he understands that Christ is enough and he wants to know him more. And he wants to know him more regardless of what it will cost him. Regardless of what it will cost those who aren't even born yet. Regardless of those who didn't do anything. They didn't read the Bible. No, but I thought it was so important for you to know that I did read the Bible. I would be willing to risk your imprisonment and pay that price because it's worth it to me. Because Christ is enough. Amen? Amen. Jesus has made slaves to sin free. He's made broken people whole. Because without God, we are still broken. He has made dead men raised to life. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.